Let's be honest. How many times have you chalked up a relationship ending to bad timing? For hosts Nancy and PJ Heslin, the answer is a lot. It took living separately in Canada, the U.S., and France, two divorces, and 20 years for timing to work out. And when it finally did in the south of France, the couple discovered they had two different versions of their love story. We all do, right? But what if your side is not the whole story, and you have the journals to prove it? Keep listening to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together, a podcast on love, relationships, and two lives in between. This episode is brought to you by the Podcast Services Division at Lifestuff Media. Having your own podcast allows you to creatively reach all types of audiences, from clients to prospects, to your most loyal membership base. And by utilizing studio affiliates located around the world, coupled with quality remote recording capabilities, Lifestuff Media makes having a corporate podcast easier than ever before. Contact us for a no-obligation consultation at info at lifestuff.com or visit lifestuff.com to learn more. Welcome to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. I'm Nancy Heslin. And I'm PJ Heslin. PJ, episode 15, I'm very excited. It's dedicated to your friends who are celebrating their... 33rd wedding anniversary. So this week's theme is In Their Honor. Where were you podcast listeners during the summer of 1990? PJ and I had actually just met a couple months before their wedding, and we went together. And I think PJ had googly eyes for me during that uh, ceremony, was looking at me as if we would be next. Yes, I remember I was in the wedding party for that wedding, and looking at you in the church audience, if that is the correct term, I don't care if it is, I'm going to use it, and thinking, oh, we're going to be next, I bet. And you were wrong. <laughs> it's very wrong. <laughs> we thought it would be fun to take a look back at the uh, summer of 1990 and where we were and I think how different our lives would have been if, PJ, if you we had married. Yeah, I always wonder at this age how many people do look back and think, oh, I wonder how much different my life would have been if I had taken that job or if I decided to sell the house and move here or if I decided to blah, blah, blah. Oh, <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I've never thought That's about blah, blah, blah. an official nostalgic term. Yeah, I remember in the summer 1985, I blah, blah, blah. But it's also the, you know, that that regret people have with relationships as well. Like, did that one get away or was yeah. she the one and things like that. Yeah, so. you hear a lot of people, yeah, that was the, oh, shit, that was the one that got away. Maybe they didn't get away so much as just escaped from you. Yeah. When you think about that summer, PJ, and mm-hmm. our my behavior, let's say, at that, at that time. And then this morning, um, we just came back from a three-kilometer swim in the sea, and I'm like, oh, it's too bad we had to get out so early because of the w- conditions. 1990s Nancy was a different physical beast than 2023 Nancy. <laughs> we'll get to that. So before we actually look at what would have happened if we had stayed together, I thought we could do a pop quiz of the summer of 1990, if you're up for it, PJ. As long as there's no math. I was told there'd be no math on this podcast. No math, PJ, no math. Okay. All right, I'm, I'm ready for the quiz. What was the top gross box office earning film of the summer of 1990? Top film 1990, oh, I'm going to say Top Gun? I don't even know if Top Gun came out in that year, did it? I think it came out earlier, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. Ghost. Ghost. Ghost, and the second was your friend Arnold Schwarzenegger with Total Recall. Oh. All right, songs. You love your music. 
Billboard year-end oh. 100 singles. What was one song of 1990 that you think would be there? I do love music, but at the risk of sounding like a musical snob, never really, really was into pop music that much. PJ, uh, you know this one. You sing 1990? it. 1990? Yeah, you sing it. Oh, I sing it all the time. I bet you I know what it is. You're simply the best. Oh, please. Stop. Better than all the rest. Am I right? No, you're not even close. Oh. PJ, what was, was the anthem, anthem of our summer? You sing it to the me. Anthem of our, I hope we don't break up again. <laughs> but I don't think that was a real song. I've taped you singing it to try to show you how tone deaf you are. Oh. Give me one more hint. Um, she, I think she burned the cross on Saturday Night Live. Oh, holiday. No, no, no. Ah, uh, uh, she didn't burn the cross. She ripped the picture of the Pope. There you go. Nothing compares. To you. Yep. Was it that song? Yeah, she was number oh. three. So the top 300 singles of, of that year, according to Billboard, Hold On by Wilson Phillips was number oh. one. Number two was It Must Have Been Love by Roxette. The, that's hard, isn't it? No, it's Roxette. Are you sure? Pretty sure. And Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor, all-time all right. classic hit. That's an awesome song. But you know what's really funny is that was in the U.S., and I looked at what the top songs were in the U.K. that same year, that same summer. Do you know what the number one song in the UK was? <laughs> Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. Wow. Because of? Ghost. Yeah. Mm. And then Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You, was number two. Sacrifice, Healing Hands by Elton John was number three in the UK. And number four, Ice Ice Baby. Ice Ice Baby. So far, I think you got a little bit for out of failing. Yeah. But just one other thing that I really found remarkable about 1990 when I was looking up some facts was uh, an article I came across in the New York Times. The Earth was warmer in the summer of 1990 than any other year since people began measuring the planet's surface temperature in 1890. But it has gotten warmer since then. Is yeah. that correct? But okay. This is like looking back in time. If like, okay. where were you in summer? So you're not saying like 1990 was hotter than now. No, nope, I'm just taking a t- 1990 hottest up until that point. Right, summer okay. of 1990 was the hottest ever. All right. So the New York Times reported some scientists said that new reports taken together with the series of very warm years in the 1980s strengthened the possibility that a feared global warming caused by an increase of heat trapping atmospheric gases has already begun. But other scientists noted the difficulty of detecting the tiny initial signal of greenhouse warming amid the much greater temperature swings caused by nature. So one guy named uh, James K. Adnell of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in Maryland said, I've been a bit of a skeptic, but as these warmish years come one upon the other, you begin to waver a little bit. Still, we may have to wait a decade or longer to make sure. Remember when the sun was our friend? Like you would, as a kid, you'd run out and go play in it. And you'd, if you wanted, you'd actually put baby oil on your skin to get a deep tan. Did you ever do that, PJ? I cannot see you lubing up in baby oil. I don't know. You don't need to. You just burn. Yes. Yeah, I didn't uh, need to do help anything for the sun to burn me. Anyway, that's a little bit of what was going on in the summer of 1990. Things were heating up, but not like our relationship, PJ. That was when our relationship. The summer was, was good. That was a good summer. That's what I'm saying. Our summer was heating. Muy romantico. So. That summer of 1990, we had been dating for two months and going to the wedding of your friends was really when we started meeting each other's friends and family and things like that. And so I, I remember meeting your mom for the first time. I thought I, if I won your mom over, then surely 
I'd be in forever. Even after we broke up, I continued to send your mom birthday cards on September 3rd every year, hoping that she would still remember that I'm sure, who I was. I'm sure my mom was like, who is this person? Yeah. Why? How did they know my address? Half my kids don't even know where I live anymore. But I remember buying a dress. You bought a dress? Ago. Yes, I bought a dress. Wow. Because I really wanted to impress your mom. And I took the GO train out to Burlington wearing my new dress. And something happened with a guy on the on the GO train. And when we got off the train, there was a problem with, it was either in the bathroom with him or in a locker. And it, there was a big kerfuffle. And, it, you know, it doesn't take much to get me like overly stimulated. And I got, by the time I got to your mom's, knocked on the door and she opened, I was like, blah, 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 blah. I was, you know, breathing tomorrow's air kind of thing. And I was so hyper. And she just had this look like, you have a lot of energy. You talk a lot. <laughs> Did she say that? Yeah, or? the next day she's like, when you first got here, I thought she really talks a lot. <laughs> you're sitting out in the backyard. And I was like, oh, no, you're not kind of unaware of your behavior. And then I remember with you, you came to my parents' house and you actually made, um, you cooked dinner for my folks. And I remember my dad was so impressed by that. Mm. And then you did something that wasn't so impressive. Oh, your sister's cookies. <laughs> so PJ was training for the Ironman that summer. So I, I as to set the stage, normally I'm always hungry. Like if Nancy and I go out to dinner or we're, we're going over to a friend's house for dinner, I have to eat before we go out to dinner so that I'm just normal person hungry. PJ, I think we established that that episode where we said you had three um, oh, Thanksgiving that's meals. Right. So that's right. I yeah. forgot about that. So yeah, uh, I am. Uh, so training for that that Ironman that summer, I was just constantly hungry because you're just you're just exercising all the time uh, for hours and hours. I mean, at least twenty to twenty five hours a week is just riding a bike, swimming, running, whatever. So I was always hungry. You were training a lot through Burlington, but you had come down to my parents' house in Scarborough and spent the night. They knew you were spending the night. Uh, I had got permission. Thank you. But um, you got up and you drove me to this job and you went back to the uh, house. I was by myself right. in and there your was, house. And there was nobody there. Nobody was, yes. it was just me living there at the time. Just a hungry PJ Hassan alone in a house. So PJ drives me to work in the morning. And by the time he gets back and he pulls into the house, there's magically cookies, cookies on the counter. <laughs> now he doesn't call and there's no mobile phones, but he doesn't call the office to say, why are there cookies? No. And he doesn't ask the question, why are there magic cookies? I thought the cookies were for me because I'm so special. What did you do with the cookies? I ate a lot of the cookies. <laughs> so that I didn't know anything about this, obviously. I'm at the office, and then I got a call from my sister saying that, who ate the cookies? Because she, Did I eat them all? I don't think so. I don't think I ate them all. I, mean, I would have been considerate enough to at least leave one. Oh, that's great. Because she was had a shower at her <laughs> office, and which was around the corner from my parents' house, so she had left all the food on the counter. That was PJ's first impression with my sister. And even... Even um, 20 years later, my sister came to visit me in Nice, and PJ was coming just after her visit, and we were going to reconnect for the first time in, in a long, long time. My sister brought up the cookie incident. The cookies. I don't blame her. I would feel, I'd be embarrassed. Imagine like, okay, yeah, we're having a big thing, and I've got cookies, and you show up and like, instead of 20 cookies, 30 cookies, hey, here's five cookies. Like, yeah, and you can't explain it. Like, hey, my sister's idiot boyfriend ate these. <laughs> Who I haven't met. <laughs> yeah, you just got to sit there and think, have everybody think, oh, five cookies, way to go. Good job. So, five, should we, should we cut them in half? What do you think then, PJ? I mean, we really, that was an amazing 
summer. I loved that yes. summer and I wouldn't want to go back and relive it, but it was just, I think when you fall in love and it, well, already when it's summer, things are better, but I had never felt like that. What do you think, or how do you think our lives would have been different if we had got married like right away? When you asked me to marry you, like the first time I said no, but if we had stayed, if we had got married, what do you think our lives would have looked like? I think I'm not think I'm positive. We would have had a bunch of kids think we probably would have had, dare I say, five at least kids. So you would have been 25 when we 20. met. So this would have been either 21, 25, or maybe I would have been 22, 23. By that point, you would have been 25, 26, 27. Yeah. So I think we would have had at least five kids. Um, I don't know if we would have stayed together. I think if we did get married and had kids and stayed in Toronto, because we were still our minds wouldn't have changed. So there might've still been that break up, get back together, break up, get back together. But within that Toronto context and kid context, I think we always still would have been coming back to each other, but I think we probably would have, um, yeah, just stayed in Toronto probably. Well, financially (laughs) we'd be a lot better off. No, but we would have made different work choices. if We had responsibility with kids and things like that. Definitely. Yeah. I oh. sorry, I just want to say though, do you, are you saying that we would have had kids and continue to break up and get back together like we did for twenty years? I'm willing to guess. No just way. Because, yeah, because our no. our heads wouldn't have changed, so we still would have been that you know kind of crazy chaotic. No way. Not when it comes to kids. Duo that we were. You are the most loyal human being on the planet, and if you had had kids, there's no way you would have put them through that. I just I don't I don't see you in that way. We may have stayed together and you know, thrown glasses at each other. But <laughs> yeah, that's a good environment for kids. I, I, I really believe that if we had got married at that time, it wouldn't have been uh, come here, go away, break up. I think it would have been that our life paths had maybe not been fulfilled. Yes. On a personal yeah, level. Yeah, I was going to get to that, um, if you may. <laughs> but uh, I th- so I probably wouldn't have done stand-up then because I wasn't doing stand-up at the time that we started dating. I probably would have gone still to grad school. I probably would have ended up teaching, not at the university level because there weren't any jobs, uh, but I probably would have started teaching earlier back then. So I would, I'd be retired by now if I started teaching back then with a nice healthy pension. And definitely for sure, like you were saying, regret. Because I st- even at that point, there was a part of me that wanted to st- be some sort of performer. And I, at this age, if I had not followed that weird circuitous route that I followed in my life, I'd definitely be thinking, oh, you know what? If I had totally tried stand up or if I did this, I bet you I could have been da 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 da. And I would have had a, even just going to New York, that, that was for me to, to live and travel in New York. That was a childhood dream. So I, I definitely, at the very least, would have been like, Man, I wish I would have like lived in New York before it got all rich and impossible to live in, man. Well, also I think that the flaws in our relationship or the flaws in me that contributed to the downfall of our relationship, I think it's impossible to break up, get back together, break up, get back together and try to fix those things unless you have a lot of years in between to become a better person yourself because you're so worried about trying to make the relationship work that you don't spend any time on yourself. Like a great point for me is 
you know, I always had weight issues and I didn't exercise until I was well into my forties. Well, until I turned 40. And I don't think I would ever have been able to work on those things if we had stayed together and had kids. Yes, that would definitely be harder. But you always, I think you should give yourself a break because you always say, oh, I was so flawed back then. <laughs> there was plenty of flaws in this guy over here. I, I just look back and I just think, my God, am I, I was so loud. And if, if I could go back in time and meet myself, I would just say, hey, young PJ, shh. Yeah, but I'm not ever saying that you weren't flawed either. I'm just taking my oh, own responsibility. Well, I think we were, you know. Here we go. What were my flaws, Nancy? What were they? The go one, ahead. The second one. Well, you just said one of them. You were really loud. No, I, I, was, but I, didn't, I needed I didn't a see lot that as a flaw. of attention back then. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think I was also very, very uh, selfish. Very Everything was all about me. But I think that's kind of normal in your 20s. I think it's definitely normal. I also think that for you, the thing I saw as the biggest challenge wasn't, the, really wasn't that you were loud and, and the way you describe yourself. For me, your biggest challenge was I knew that your upbringing had deeply impacted how you saw relationships. And so trust was such a big issue that once I broke your trust, I knew it would be nearly impossible to get back to the level we had of summer of 1990. Yeah. You know, we've said that that we've already told in a previous episode that first time we broke up, you know, was, wasn't even really a defined breakup that we, you know, I was going to go to France, mm. but that feeling of abandonment or whatever that was for you definitely changed our relationship. If we had gotten married that early, like say not the summer of 1990, but say the summer of 1991, would you still have gone to France? What, when I came back from France or before I left? Before you left. Would you leave a married man alone in Canada? That's my question to you. Probably. Oh, Wow. Yeah, but would you have wanted me to give up that? You had already traveled oh. Europe at that point by yourself for six months. Would you have wanted? Would you have wanted me to give up something like that? It's a bold strategy, Nancy. Let's see how it plays out. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't have wanted you to, to give that up. I mean, that that's as selfish as I was back then. I still was a person that was, Hey, you need to do this and that, and you should do that. And that would be awesome. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. So I was looking up statistics about people that got married for the first time. Like what was the average age? So in the U S in 1990, the year that we're talking about, uh, the average age for a woman to get married for the first time was 23. And for a man, it was 26. No. Yeah. That young. Yeah. Now in 2023, the U S census said for a woman, it was 28. And for a man, it's 30. I don't think anybody should make a big decision like that till they're 40. But what's interesting is the French side. So INSEE, which is the National Statistics Office in France. So for 1990, they said that the average age of a female getting married was 25.6. So okay. almost two and a half years later than the US. And for men, it wasn't that much difference, 27.6. And then the last statistic they have for women getting married for the first time is 36.1 in 2019. And for men, it's 38 and a half. Wow. That is a big difference. Yeah. So uh, we realized that if we had got married at that time, we would have had like a gaggle of kids running around. I don't really know what our careers would have been, probably hit and miss here and there. We always would have provided, but that was not the path that we took. We continued to, to live our lives, even though I just want to ask, I knew that I, I knew that PJ was the one, but I kept moving forward. What, we already spoke about what I probably would have done. What would you have probably done, do you think, as a career? 
<laughs> now that I think about it, if you're having five kids, you're pretty busy doing that. But in between having my kids, what would you have done? Um, I guess I would have started some kind of an earplug company for women. <laughs> a know. white noise box yeah. to I don't, drown at the sound of children. I don't know. I mean, my my dream was always to be a journalist. And, you know, I didn't like journalism school for the ethics reason and... I love to write, but creatives, as everybody calls them now, there wasn't really a place in the workforce like there is now. And also you would have had to gone to an office job. So how would I have done that with five kids, three of which would have been named John, two, which would have been Mary's. (laughs) Um, I I really don't know. What about, but you were passionate about French. Do you think? How would I have pursued that? French teacher? Yeah, it's pretty hard. Like, look at this. So we met in 1990. We're now in the story of the winter of 1995, January Hmm. to March. In the time that we met, we met in Quebec. So I was living in Quebec. Then I went to Ottawa for a year. I went to France for a year to study French. I went to Quebec up in the Gaspé for a year. I went to the east coast of Canada to Charlottetown. Went back to Quebec and spent a year outside of Montreal. Went back to the east coast of Canada. And where we are in the story now of winter 95, I've moved back to Toronto. That's a lot of futons. <laughs> I had to move by myself, right? But no, that wouldn't have happened if we had stayed together. So I don't know how my French would or would not have been pursued. Mm. So what did you do in the five years that we met in terms of living? So I had 1990 Toronto, then we moved to Ottawa together, then grad school in Montreal while you were in France, then back to Toronto. So only three places, just and really just one futon to move. So we, uh, for the first time in winter of 1995, we're both living in Toronto and we're still in contact, even though we can't figure out our relationship. You may recall last episode, PJ invited me to live with them in his house. And then a month later told me no, but also admitted that he was asking in the capacity of a landlord that I would be renting from him. <laughs> How romantic. Which he's just clarified after 30 something years for me. Great. I seriously do not remember saying, come live with me. Yeah, right. I don't remember that. 1995 winter, we're both living in Toronto. And for the first time, we both kind of have more serious long-term jobs. So my sister, actually, the one that you ate all her cookies, she worked in human resources and was really amazing at networking and things like that. And she had told me um, to go and get registered at one of these placement companies, because then you don't have to have a full-time office job forever. You can kind of figure out what you might like to do. Human resources. You would have been excellent at human resources. It just occurred to me as soon as you said that, because you're organized, you're really good with people. Um, what else does human resources do? Oh, jeez. Wow. Uh, yeah, it sounds you're like awesome I- at paperwork, as we all know, with our relationship. You handle all the paperwork. I clearly have to die before you because I don't know anything. Yeah, but about why is that, PJ? Why do I have to be responsible for the paperwork? <laughs> about the bank account. What's happened to our bank account? Because you tried to like log into our account and you just kept putting any like code number <laughs> I, in until you blocked I us. Forgot, I forgot the passcode, so I kept trying a bunch and then it shut down our bank account. I don't want to be responsible fraud. for the paperwork, but so if it's you Nancy or me. So then Nancy was like, okay, I'm going to change this and you no longer have access to this because I don't want to be locked out of our money. Sometimes I actually think the dog has more information of our personal paperwork <laughs> and documents where they are. sees where you put it. Well, I went to this job um, interview at a job placement company. Is that what they're called? Headhunter. To see if there was any type of you know work out there for me. And because of all of the experience I had in Quebec... They actually, the company itself offered me a job as the head of their bilingual recruitment, which meant that 
I had to, anyone coming in to register with the company for short or long-term placements, I had to uh, review their level of French. And that was my introduction to office politics. And you, at the time, you were doing your jungle show. Yes. So I had, uh, was on that series, The Mighty Jungle. And you were dealing with the politics or not the politics, but the it's different. Yeah. I mean, you always have office politics. You always have people dynamics on anything, but in the entertainment industry, it's different. Um, when you work on a show, everybody there, you work really long hours. You, you know, you're there from anywhere from like eight in the morning and it couldn't be as late as nine, 10, whatever, 12, 16 hours sometimes. And everybody hates the actors. (laughs) And the reason everybody hates the actors is because proportionally they get paid a lot more than everybody else. They're the last to arrive and the first to leave. So everybody just, and also, let's be honest, most actors aren't the brightest. So they're kind of the dumbest, the most well-paid, and the least worked of anybody on the set. That's going to build animosity. So when we uh, start, my friend and I both got these roles together. And if you've got any sense of awareness, you you can pick up on that vibe. And also because I had worked on shows previously, either as a personal assistant doing carpentry work, blah, 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 blah. So I knew of that dynamic. So I always knew if you're an actor and you show up and set, A, stay on time, be where you're supposed to be, just shut up and do your job, memorize your lines, hit the mark, then everybody will love you. <laughs> and it slowly went from... Everybody just sort of being, yeah, oh, guys, that's the guy that does the voice. To over a period of weeks of like, ah, hey, that guy's not so bad. And then pretty soon, this it, you just get immersed in this culture because, like I said, you spend so much time together, and it's almost like being just like at a, a summer camp where you're working really hard. Did they make seal sounds for you then every time you kind of came in? <laughs> they did not. Yikes. They did not. But I did get free haircuts, even though I wasn't on camera. Well, that was a totally different experience because working in an office of all women, all they wanted to do was have me on their side. At first, I thought people were being really friendly. I was also the youngest in that that dynamic. But um, yeah, things quickly turned sour. And it was really trying to win you onto their side so that you could fight their argument against another team member and I really didn't enjoy it. I just wanted to do my job and not be involved. But yeah, it was kind of hard settling down like that. But yeah, um, the, the real office office politics can be brutal. Well, the only thing that kept me going was thinking that one day PJ and I were going to get together. And I kept trying over those <laughs> few months, even after he evicted me as his potential landlord. <laughs> but it just, you know, PJ's life at that time was you, I think you've even said it. That was like really when you were so personally and professionally happy um, not that that has anything to do with me or not to do with me, but it was just one of those periods in your life where things were really coming together for you. Yeah. It just seemed like there were, I, I use the analogy of everything. There were no hard corners. Everything was covered in nerf, which means, you know, if you fell, it didn't hurt. So it was a great time. Not that, and that, you know, not to say, Oh no, I'm so miserable. I'm not. I have an awesome life. I love what I do. Thanks, Pete. But, <laughs> but back then, especially also being young mm. and having no responsibilities. And you owned your house. Yeah. So everything just was like, you know, obviously you're still stressed out about certain things, but it just, every day was just another fun, 
hey, what's going to happen today? What's the party? Wee, here we go. So I was not having that wee, here we go. I was living up at my folks. You know, they were amazing to let me stay with them, but they were living outside Toronto. So to go to this job, I had to take you know, two different transit lines, which took an hour and a half and cost oh, a fortune at the time. Was and it then, an hour and a half one way? Yeah. Oh, three hours. And then on public transport, oh. it was like one subway stop and then this really long bus, which was fine. I mean, you had to do what you had to do. It wasn't that, but it just that when you weren't in a great headspace, it was really difficult to build that social life or like pop over to PJs when I was thinking about him. And so I had started already thinking I'm not happy in this job. And, you know, I was already looking for another out and I had applied to, um, to teach in Japan. And I was so excited about that. And then the day of the interview, I woke up and I had one of the worst fevers I've ever had in my life. And I went down to the interview again, having to take all that transit to go downtown Toronto. And I was soaked. Like I was just sitting in the interview, sweating and speaking was painful. Like I could hear it in my head as I enunciated each word. You know whether you've done a good interview when you do it. And I left there. All I wanted to do was go home and crawl into bed. But I knew there was little chance they were going to pick me. But it seemed like if they could just put me on that placement and get me to Japan, then that would solve all my problems. So let's take a look at uh, the journal. This is a short entry this time, PJ. I actually wrote two entries from January 1st to May something in 1995. This is the 20th of February, 1995. And Nancy writes, I'm not really sure where this Jet Japan interview will take me. Jet, is that's the name of the company then, right? Jet Japan? You're so clever. <laughs> Jesus, don't. Uh, okay, Jet Japan interview will take me. But if I'm fortunate enough to be chosen, I think I'd quit work at the end of May and travel around, including a trip to Louisiana. So the guy from PEI had moved to Louisiana. And oddly, when he moved there, we started talking more on the phone than we'd ever talked. So I figured I could get a little visit with him. In. Distance makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, okay, back to Nancy. I thought I was really ready to settle down, but I don't know what it is I want to do. I was hoping that things would have worked out better uh, between PJ and myself, and we would have committed a future to each other. But there's not too much a chance of that happening. I'm going to concentrate on Scott. Scott. I don't even remember who Scott is. <laughs> Scott. This is new. Uh, I'm going to concentrate on Scott and take things from there. guess you didn't take them very far. I feel extremely content and, and am fully confident that good things are just around the corner. Of course they are. Good things will just be around the corner all the time. It only took uh, 33 years. Mm. That's it for this episode. And again, we just want to dedicate it to uh, PJ's camp friends. Happy 33rd wedding anniversary. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and share the link with friends. This podcast is an offshoot of Nancy and PJ Learn French. Check out nancyandpj.com for more on that. Thanks to Isaac, Alyssa, and Dustin at Lifestuff Media. In our next episode, after waiting five years, Nancy is fed up waiting around for PJ and decides to enter the dating pool. PJ, however, has no lack in the romance department.